Hello and welcome to Kaiju Coffee Break, the podcast about giant monsters and the giant nerds who love them. I'm Lee and I love monster movies. And I'm Sarah and I wanted to make a podcast about pathogenic fungi. Awesome. How are you this morning? I'm doing pretty good. Lee, I think we should address the elephant in the room straight up. There's an elephant in the room? There is. And that elephant is pumpkin spice. Is it? Tis the season. <laughs> the season has arrived upon us and I think we would be remiss as coffee podcast host if we didn't discuss it a little bit. So yesterday, I, I was at work yesterday afternoon, and we have like a spot in the lab break room where people can put their coffees and kind of water bottles and everything. And it was uh, a monument to the supremacy of pumpkin spice. There was like 20 <laughs> pumpkin spice drinks in there. Wow. Yeah. And so I said to my one of my coworkers, one of the other scientists, to Angela, I was like, you ought to go in there and look the pumpkin spice kind of shrine happening in the lab break room <laughs> and she laughed and then when she came back from her lunch break she was like Sarah you were not kidding <laughs> that's terrifying and I was like well don't look in the fridge then mm. I haven't gotten a pumpkin spiced latte yet but I guess we've gotten a couple other mixed drinks yeah that's the thing is it's like it's now uh, expanded beyond pumpkin spice lattes and into like anything pumpkin spice in the coffee arena We've had a couple of different like pumpkin cold brew things from different coffee stands here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're doing this for you, the listener, obviously. No benefit to us. Don't you have some in the fridge? Uh, I have pumpkin spice creamer. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but pu- that pumpkin spice creamer was recommended to me by Sarah, a fellow podcaster. <laughs> she said it was good. I had to try it. It's science. All Don't right. you know how science yeah. works? Same is true for me and that uh, pumpkin cold brew thing i got yesterday that was not yesterday wasn't no you didn't leave the house yesterday that's true that was the day before yesterday that was the day before yesterday it was uh the day we went up teaching yeah so yeah yeah there so we tried we did a a head-to-head comparison of the starbucks cold brew pumpkin spice cold brew and the dutch brothers caramel pumpkin brulee cold Mm. brew Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm on I'm on Camp Dutch Bros here, which is not typical for me. I'm not typically a big fan of Dutch Bros. I think their coffee is sort of only okay. They're generally extremely sweet for you. Yeah, the, and their big sell is honestly like all their teas and Italian sodas, and their coffee is sort of not not the sh- the focus of most of their drinks. But I did really like that pumpkin caramel. Really, <laughs> it wasn't too sweet, believe it or not. Like mm-hmm. it, it had a good amount of sweetness. It was really like creamy because they put some kind of like foam on i don't know it was good <laughs> it was good yeah i like the uh, campfire cold brew thing that they made for a couple months yeah I, that was the summer drink i think yeah. i thought that was good too but I, it was also a little sweet for me that's true i'm actually typically and this is gonna be kind of heresy i'm not a huge fan of cold brew <laughs> I, typically i find that cold brew has a, a strange sour taste that no one else seems to taste other than me. I can taste it. Yeah, yeah, I don't like that. A lot of people will be like, "Oh, it's so much less acidic. It's so much less flavorful." Or they'll be they'll think that it's not as strong a coffee taste, which is probably true. But I just there is an off note. I think I think I must have like a gene that causes me to not like the taste of cold brew. Just like the cilantro gene. There's a cold brew gene. Uh, I don't know. Um, if there's flavoring in it, then that sourness isn't quite right. There. Yeah, it doesn't bother me so much if if I'm getting like. One of the pumpkin spice drinks or that campfire one or whatever it is like that. That's not a problem. Mm-hmm. But when I'm just having cold brew with like coffee and with just sugar and cream, I don't care for it. And and like the supremacy of cold brew in the Northwest kind of mm-hmm. sucks. Like as someone who likes iced coffee, I feel like I haven't had a good cup of iced coffee at a coffee shop since we left Japan. 
You would get those just regular old iced coffees from Starbucks. Yeah, but I mean, I said a good cup of that's iced fair, coffee. That's fair. <laughs> and that's not fair because for a while those were free for me as a healthcare professional. And ooh, baby, the best coffee is free coffee. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, what is your opinion on uh, the pumpkin spice war? Let's let's flame the fa- fan the flames a little bit on the pumpkin spice. Um, much like how we saw the Christmas decorations in Costco recently, I think it's coming on too soon. Yeah, that's a, that is one thing that I think is kind of unfortunate about having the pumpkin spice now. It's still 100 degrees during the day here in yeah, Southern Oregon. it doesn't feel like, like fall yet. I'm not ready for pumpkin spice yet. I mean, I, I am like in an emotional sense, but not in like a physical temperature sense. But by the time it does cool down enough to, to for me to want that, they're going to have their Christmas drinks. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're just in a hurry. And if there's anything COVID has taught us, maybe we just need to slow down a little bit. Like, can we still enjoy <laughs> our campfire cold brews and our s'mores frappuccinos and all that stuff mm-hmm. i don't know yeah i don't have an answer <laughs> but i'm not gonna definitely not one of those people who's gonna super hate on pumpkin spice because i do enjoy it whether mm-hmm. it has pumpkin in it or not i don't care for pumpkin spice lattes but that's mostly because i don't really care for lattes i'm not a huge fan of espresso i'll get one of those a year one a just year. to like see if i do i like this yet it's mm, it's no. okay <laughs> i feel like the last time i had a pumpkin spice latte and it wasn't from starbucks um was I had this is a horrible story but I went to Panera Bread and I had like pneumonia and I'm pretty sure I got like a pumpkin spice latte that day and I was so ill and I had soup and this latte and an apple didn't obviously didn't know I had pneumonia mm-hmm. um and and so that I sort of have the comfort comforting memory of that but yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to have the Dutch Bros option this time because the Starbucks pumpkin stuff I just I don't like as much mm-hmm. also they have pumpkin bread that I do like but I have a really strange memory of when I worked at Starbucks and there was this lady that would come through the drive-thru and order pumpkin bread like the pumpkin loaf mm-hmm. and she would like get four of them and I would just think that was so weird and then she'd get to the drive-thru and I'd hand her the, the pumpkin bread and she would immediately feed it to her dogs <laughs> and I'd be like oh okay well that is weird. I know. It doesn't seem like it's very healthy for the dogs. I don't want to like pet or parent shame anyone. Cost effective. That's got to be expensive. Oh, they too. was expensive. I mean, the, the loaves of bread were probably a couple of dollars each. Like That's mm. a very expensive dog treat and also very, very unhealthy for your dogs. I can just, I feel Bronwyn screaming at me just through the ether <laughs> right now. Their, their messages are reaching me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a bad, don't do that, everyone. Don't give your dog pumpkin spice bread. No. no. And if you live in utah and you have access to a neaters go go and get some of their pumpkin bread it's the bomb that's the only thing i miss about utah and send some up to us oh my god i need it please send it to me All okay right. so what are we drinking today oh today we're drinking uh southern weather blend from onyx coffee lab in rogers arkansas so this is the, the what we got from our coffee subscription box because we're those kind of people yeah we talked about this in the last episode but if you didn't hear that one um we got a subscription box I'm, I'm a not a huge fan of subscription boxes. We don't need to go into all that again. But it, they send us, they're just sending us two bags of coffee a month. And we did it for three months. So we'll see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I like the idea of it. The, each of the ones that they have selected have they're, they're some kind of innovation in like coffee production or moving towards a more sustainable kind of progressive coffee movement. So this one that we have this, this week or this month, uh, Onyx Coffee Lab, they have innovative pricing schemes where they pay fair wages or pay fair prices for their coffee to the production regions. And then after they get it to the United States and they cup it and 
appraise it, if it appraises it more than what they paid for it, they'll actually pay the, the difference back to the producers, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty cool. And then I was also reading a little bit more before we started recording, um, and they are a carbon neutral facility. They have solar on their roasting facility. And I thought this was kind of interesting. They actually use Diedrich coffee roasters, which are made in Sandpoint, where we used to live. Yeah. I think that that's probably pretty common. I, I can't. When I worked in a coffee roasting place, we had them too. So maybe it's just one of like the few games that all. Yeah, I think it's just <laughs> they have a niche on the market and mm-hmm. and they're uh, holding on to it with all that's worth. But I just thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. What do you think of it? Um, I think it tastes good. I'm looking at the packaging right now, and I think it's funny that the roast level is from traditional to modern. Yeah, mm-hmm. I tried to look that up. I have no idea what that means. I think traditional is probably a darker roast, and as we go on. In this like third wave coffee movement, there's less lighter and lighter roast happening. So this is right in the middle. It's a medium roast. Yeah, I, I, I had to look at the beans and I saw it was a medium roast. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it doesn't actually say medium roast anywhere on the package. <laughs> and even on their website, I went and looked. They have these. They have two blends: uh, Southern Weather, and then they also have Monarch. The Southern Weather one is the lighter one. So mm-hmm. I opened that one first. But we also have a bag of Monarch, which is their darker roast. Uh, this one in particular. Set it down. Um, has uh, notes of chocolate, milk chocolate, plum, candied walnut. Uh oh, I'm allergic to walnut. Juicy and citrus finish. Juicy coffee. Mmm. But I think it's good. I like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little bit of a light, light roast for me. But I put a bunch of pumpkin spice coffee flavor <laughs> in it. So who even cares? It's fine. It just tastes like coffee. Yeah, and a little bit of that stuff goes a long way. I've discovered recently. Yeah, I probably put more than I should have in. Yeah, it's fine. Speaking of things that are light. <laughs> Son of Kong came out in 1933. Um, I have it in my notes that they had six months of production time. So King Kong released in March of 1933, and this came out um, in December. So you know that's nine months, right? No, that's nine months between yeah. the two things. But they had six months of production. I just time. like the idea that this is a this is a baby. It took nine <laughs> months to make. Mm-hmm. It had to incubate for for nine months, and then it was birthed into the world. This movie but, was so short. That yes, is honestly like the the most standout fact about this movie to me. It was only an hour long. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, we got it on Vudu for ten bucks. I found out afterwards you could got it on YouTube for five or iTunes for five. Shucks, um, we overpaid. <laughs> yes, we did. Aww. We could also rent it from YouTube and Amazon for a dollar ninety nine or Vudu iTunes for two ninety nine can't believe we paid the highest price there i have a new resource for finding where to buy stuff from and we'll go from there from now on (laughs) yeah because it's not like voodoo is a struggling nonprofit that needs our money no voodoo is owned by walmart it was just the easiest option but i'm gonna put a little more effort into that yeah well we'll stick a pin in that and come back to it later (laughs) yeah but um yeah six months of actual production yeah i I would say it shows for sure there's a so i actually I liked this movie. I, I don't really have a ton of complaints about it, but it definitely it felt like the filler episode of an anime. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's the monsters, pretty accurate. The monsters don't appear until like the final 15 minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. And most of it is more of like a high seas drama and slapstick comedy. And there's, I mean, the first 20 minutes are just Carl Denham being sad in New York. <laughs> like... <laughs> There's mm-hmm. yeah, there's there's not like a ton of of substance to this movie, but I felt like it actually I liked it. We can talk more about that later. Yeah. 
Um, so it was uh, directed by Ernest Shodasak. He was the director of the last movie. Yep. Uh, and the music was again by Max Steiner. If you didn't hear me talk about Max Steiner in our last episode, I really recommend you take a listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is 69 minutes long, an hour and nine minutes. Yep. And it takes uh, Little Kong 42 minutes to appear. Yeah. So the movie's almost over by the time <laughs> Baby Kong shows up or the titular son of Kong. Mm-hmm. So who's in this movie, Lee? Um we got a couple of people showing back up again. We got uh, Robert Armstrong as Carl Denham, a new person, uh, Helen Mack as Hilda Peterson, who was never referred to in the movie as Hilda. They all, her father refers to her as Madame Helen, and Carl Denham calls her kid. Uh, we also got Frank Riker as Captain Inglehorn, Inglehorn, John Marston as Nils Hellstrom, and once again we got Victor Wong as Charlie, and he's a much more important character this time around. I have a question for you. Isn't John John Marson the name of the cowboy in Red Dead Redemption? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I feel less crazy now. <laughs> yeah, uh, Charlie like tore it up in this movie. Mm-hmm. This is just like the Charlie show. I love it. Yeah, I, I enjoyed him a lot actually. But they, I think they were able to use him for comedy. Yeah, well, because this was just a funnier movie in general. It well, had yeah, a much um, more slapsticky feel to it. The scriptwriter Ruth Rose um, said, if you can't make it bigger, make it funnier, because they only had six months to throw this out. Mm-hmm. She didn't believe that it would measure up to the first one in terms of like seriousness or grandeur. This, so she made a comedy. This one definitely has a ton of comedy notes, even just down to the music. Like There's kind of silly bumbling music when people are walking and a lot of like, I don't even know how to describe it. I, I would it say almost like Three Stooges kind of <laughs> atmosphere in this movie. But I mean, well, I enjoyed it more than the previous one. So I guess it worked. Okay. At one point, Little Kong gets hit in the head and then it, the camera zooms in on his face as he's cross-eyed and like shaking it off. So yeah, that's like a staple of comedy. Yeah, <laughs> very physical slapstick comedy. Mm-hmm. So apparently the Japanese originally, I'm going to read this one on here if yeah, you don't yeah. mind. The Japanese alternate title of this movie was Revenge of Kong, Kong no Huchu. Yep, which makes zero sense to me. Yeah, no, <laughs> if his revenge is keeping Carl Denham's sad existence alive for another another movie, I guess. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's, uh, I, I think we've seen a lot of kind of examples of foreign renaming of movies that don't. Yeah. Stack up. Wasn't wasn't it Sixth Sense where spoiler the Chinese title was like he was dead the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> it's like whoa. I would, I would believe. That. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we got uh, Little Kong in this, who is albino. Is he? Is that canon? Yes, it is. I mean, when I read that in your notes last night, I was like, no, he didn't have red eyes, and then I had to think about it for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, it's in black and white. Mm. But still, he he wasn't all white. He was like a grayish white. It, it kind of depended on the the scene, but he was supposed to be albino. Okay, all right. Yeah. We also have a Styracosaurus, which attacks the captain Charlie and Hellstrom when they're on one of their uh, little expeditions. I thought that was a Triceratops for a while, but he doesn't have the three horns. He doesn't. No. Boy, I'm misremembering that. It's <laughs> Mandela effect. It's happening. Yeah. Uh, we also have a giant bear, uh, Nothosaurus, a sea serpent who is kills the Hellstrom yeah, guy. Yeah, it's so satisfying. And um, actually, I don't know that we have to have humans on this list this time around. Yeah. I mean, Carl Denham is a jerk. Well, yeah, but, but he spends the whole movie trying to atone for his jerkiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I mean, humans were just kind of present in this one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. Um, so I think we're ready to talk about what we loved. I loved Helene. Now, I actually, until you just said that, I didn't realize her name was Hilda. She is never called Hilda in the movie. I know. That's why I, yeah. <laughs> I, I considered changing your note there. But yeah, they don't call her Helene so, or Hilda. So why bother? Yeah, I liked Helene a lot. I thought she was a... I will say that I think that this movie... It's almost like they heard my criticisms in the last one. (laughs) Helene is a a bad bee. Like she Mm -hmm. charges into danger every time. She's not afraid of anything. She's totally fearless. She's not a scream queen at all. No. no. In fact, she's kind of almost the one that keeps driving Denim forward. Like, and I, I think it's kind of an interesting counterpoint because he is feeling guilty the whole time about the danger that he put Anne in and trying not to do that mm-hmm. to Helen. But she's like, it's fine. I don't care. I will charge George danger every time. She stands like toe to toe with the man who killed her father and threatens him and like eventually... stares him down. Yeah. She is not afraid of anything. And I think that's radical. I really like Helen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just overall. And, and I thought the scene where she was singing was kind of sweet. Like she didn't have a great singing voice. <laughs> <laughs> it was, she had a lot of character. That scene reminded me a lot of like Popeye. So uh, that singing voice just kind of seemed normal. Yeah, I didn't question it. It seemed like that was just maybe the way she sang. Yeah, yeah. But no, I liked her a lot too. Um, she convinces Denim to help Kong out of the quicksand. And among other things, she rips her like underskirt thing to bandage up Kong's finger after he gets hurt helping them. Yeah, she's definitely no damsel in distress, mm-hmm. and I really like that. What else do you like about this movie? Um, Carl Denham's character development. like He was filled with regret for everything he did in the first movie. I like, mean, in fairness, it could be because they're going to ruin him. At the very beginning of the movie, he is stuck in his home because the paparazzi are chasing him a process server is chasing him mm-hmm. like he's actually made friends with the process server <laughs> <laughs> because he's drummed up so much business getting sued yeah and then the process server helps him escape the other ones yeah <laughs> with a bucket on his head like the, yeah. the paparazzi wouldn't be like oh that's weird a bucket mm-hmm. anyways uh yeah no i, I thought carl denham had um some character development he yeah. did seem to feel genuine remorse and he does he doesn't want to put helen into danger which doesn't really stop her from putting herself right. into danger but i mean you can directly draw the line from he put Anne in a lot of danger in the first movie and didn't have seem to have any qualms about it and he's mm-hmm. like learned yeah and um he i think it goes beyond just the like self-ramifications from kong destroying new york because he feels genuinely bad for little kong as well he doesn't seem to feel bad about skipping out of his jury summons and paying reparations in new york well no (laughs) (laughs) that would be going too far yeah but as far as like the life for life kind of thing Mm -hmm. goes he does feel regret for that and at one point even says like you and i would both be better off if i never came here oh yeah to little kong yes to little kong because little kong would still have his dad yep And, um, yeah, I had more to say, but I think that actually comes later. So <laughs> quicksand. I, yes. I want to talk about quicksand. I, I really missed having a good, good old fashioned deep dive into some science in the last one. So mm-hmm. we're going to talk about quicksand. So when they find little Kong the first time he is trapped in quicksand. The reason I am talking about this right now, when we're talking about what we loved about this movie is actually that was a pretty accurate representation of getting trapped in quicksand. 
you'll notice that little Kong in that movie was not being sucked under. He was just stuck. Yeah, he was about what waist deep. And that is about how far a human would sink into quicksand before mm-hmm. they stopped sinking. Quicksand is portrayed in action movies as a trope. Typically, people get sucked under almost like there's a vacuum. Mm-hmm. But quicksand is a liquid, and humans don't sink in liquid farther than their density allows. So <laughs> human beings, human bodies are less dense than water, mm-hmm. than quicksand in this case. So they won't sink completely. Yeah. <laughs> They'll only sink typically up to their mid-chest. People who die from quicksand in real life, which is really uncommon, by the way, but the way that you would die from quicksand would be getting stuck and then dying of something else. Mm-hmm. So you might get stuck and the tide comes in. Or you might get stuck and a bear comes up and rips your <laughs> face off because <laughs> you can't get away. Mm-hmm. But people don't drown in quicksand unless they they go face first. Yeah. Which, yeah. I mean, you'd have to be trying. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I guess what I'm saying is it's not impossible to drown in quicksand, but it is unlikely. It's not like what we've right. seen in the movies. Right, exactly. And so I just want to talk a little bit about why quicksand is the way it is, if you are interested in a little lecture. Go for so it. So quicksand is a non-Newtonian fluid. Now, you know Isaac Newton, famous physicist. He came up with a bunch of different, like, uh, you probably heard of his laws of motion. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're a giant nerd or have a chemistry background <laughs> like me, you might also have heard of his laws of thermodynamics. He also had a law of viscosity. His, his law of viscosity stated that fluids have a constant viscosity regardless of stress. So what does this mean? Viscosity is the thickness of a liquid, right? So the idea that a liquid have a, would have a constant viscosity regardless of any impacts on it, basically what that's saying is if you walked up to the river that's outside of our house right now and ran your hands through it, you wouldn't expect it to solidify when you touched it. Mm-hmm. That would be abnormal behavior for water. Yeah. Correct. So Newtonian fluids, fluids that follow Newton's laws of viscosity, have the same thickness regardless of whether you impact them, move your hands through them, touch them, interact with them in any way. Mm-hmm. Are you with me so far? Yep. So non-Newtonian fluids don't behave that way. They'll either thin or thicken when you interact with them. And what that what that is called is a shear thickening or shear thinning. Mm-hmm. So a shear thickening non-Newtonian fluid will, will actually harden when you impact it. So, for example, you have a non-Newtonian fluid that is shear thickening and you slap your hand down on it, it will solidify and then liquefy as soon as the force is off of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Probably the best example of a shear thickening non-Newtonian fluid is uh, Ublek. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that name came from a Dr. Seuss novel. All right. Uh, that tracks. Ublek is uh, one cup. You can make this. It's one cup cornstarch and one cup water mixed together. So you can mm-hmm. actually do this at home. Uh, it will solidify when you stick your hand on it quickly, but then it will liquefy. So you can actually walk on top of this if you walk fast enough. Yep. And they did that on uh, Mythbusters. Yeah. I remember. This is like, a, this is sort of the childhood mm-hmm. science experiment that everyone has done to make oobleck. But there are actually a lot of other sheer thickening um, substances out there. Uh, frozen caramel syrup is a common one. If you have very cold caramel syrup, you just want to spoon it slowly. You don't want to stick your spoon right in because it'll harden up. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So sheer thinning is what quickstand is. Sheer thinning non-Newtonian fluids will thin on impact and then re-solidify. So what happens is it looks solid because it's just hanging out. Mm-hmm. You step on it and you, your foot sinks down and then it re-solidifies almost immediately. So it liquefies on impact. Uh, I, th- I found this uh, quote from an article in the journal Nature uh, called Liquefaction of Quicksand Under Stress. It was published in 2005. They did some studies and they found that in, if your foot gets stuck in quicksand, if you were to pull it straight out, 
the force required to do that would be 104 newtons, uh, about that required to lift a medium-sized car. Hmm. So if you get your foot gets stuck in quicksand, you cannot pull it straight out. In mm. fact, if if someone were to try to pull you out of quicksand, they would probably separate your foot from you. Ow. Right. So what you want to do, if, God forbid, anyone here gets stuck in quicksand, uh, you want to reintroduce water to the matrix because the water has been pushed out when you stepped on it. Mm-hmm. So you want to wiggle your feet back and forth a little bit just to widen the area that is around you and water will then come in and start to liquefy it again and then you can slowly remove your foot. Okay. That is the best way to get out of quicksand. You don't want to panic because then you'll run the risk of getting your face wet. <laughs> like the, but, but quicksand is typically not dangerous. People will not sink above their chest mm-hmm. in quicksand so the best thing to do is just to remain calm kind of wiggle around a little bit just to liquefy it and then you can slowly withdraw from the quicksand yeah uh i think it's this is hilarious to me because quicksand <laughs> is such a trope of our childhood like i definitely grew up thinking quicksand was going to be something i needed to be prepared for yeah i learned how to escape it as a kid and i lived in alaska where there's, <laughs> there's no sand where i lived <laughs> <laughs> i mean I have like wilderness backcountry survival education as an as an elementary school student growing mm-hmm. up in Alaska and Idaho, and I still was like afraid of quicksand. Yeah, um, but they ever th- that trope has kind of gone by the wayside. You don't see that trope in movies so much anymore. Even when even movies based in jungles and deserts where there might potentially be quicksand mm-hmm. as part of the trope, they they're not doing that so much anymore. Um, but I wanted to talk about it because I thought it was really funny. Um, <laughs> And also that I liked that they actually portrayed it correctly, the way that Little Kong got stuck kind of up to his waist in quicksand. Yeah. And and he wasn't being sucked under. It wasn't like a vacuum or a maelstrom that was pulling him under. People sometimes do get pulled under a little bit in quicksand because when they're struggling and moving, it's liquefying the sand around them and they're sinking further down. But they won't mm-hmm. sink below their chest. So I think the last time I saw quicksand in a movie was... Um that fourth Indiana Jones movie with the crystal skull. And they, he actually, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's fine. He actually talks about how it's not as dangerous as people are led to believe. It's only a worry if there's like an air pocket under it. And that's when like an air bubble comes up and then they all start sinking. So I, that might be a different kind of situation, but I also read, um, in doing research for about quicksand that people, a couple people will die every year in grain silos um, it's not exactly quicksand because it's not a fluid. They're mm-hmm. just it's just grain, but it it, portray, it kind of has that same property where it'll let you sink through it, but then you, it's hard to get back up. The, the grains compress, yeah. Um, and so people and people will sink below their their feet or below their chest in that because it's not it's not denser than human mm-hmm. flesh. Like grain is less dense than human flesh, so people can actually continue to sink if they struggle. That's kind of scary. In grain. Yeah, it's pretty terrifying. It mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of reminds me of a movie that I really like that I keep trying to get you to watch, but we keep forgetting called Strange Brew, where some people drown in beer. <laughs> well, they almost drown. They save them at the last minute, but mm-hmm. uh, I love that movie. Everyone should watch it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's what I have to say about quicksand. Don't at me. Or at, at you. It's Don't fine. at me. <laughs> All right, so what didn't lo- you love about this movie? You beat me to it on this, so I'll let you go first. The ending. I don't... They're, they're like, cool, we got the treasure. Time to leave the island. And the island's like, haha, not if I don't destroy myself first. Mm. And then they said it's an earthquake, but there was like also a hurricane. Yeah, <laughs> the internet describes it as an earthquake hurricane. 
Oh boy, <laughs> I, I'm. It's 2020. I don't think we need to like will that into existence. Thank you. Yeah, but they um, the entire island gets sucked under the water, and everybody except for the main characters dies. All those natives. Yep, and there were a few deleted scenes, or I shouldn't say deleted, they didn't have time to film them, of the various animals getting killed by the ocean in some fashion or another. Oh, that's horrible. I'm glad they didn't film those. Mm -hmm. The whole thing was terrible enough. It just felt so pointless. Like, there was no reason they couldn't, like, little Kong couldn't sacrifice himself to save Denim, but then they just leave. Like, (laughs) you don't have to destroy the whole island. Mm -hmm. That's, like... Rule one of movie making, don't destroy your sequel. Well, we know that now, 80 years later. <sighs> Whatever. Yeah, I just didn't, I didn't care for that. I felt it was unnecessarily gruesome and it was weird. Mm-hmm. It came out of nowhere. There was no like prior inkling that that could happen to the island. Like they, they could have been having earthquakes the whole time and it would have made so much more sense. Mm-hmm. But, but no, it's no. just like. <laughs> it was just like, surprise, the island's going to explode. Yep, you found the treasure, now get out. Yeah, the whole island was propped up by that treasure. <laughs> it was load-bearing treasure. <laughs> load-bearing treasure. <laughs> uh, something I didn't love about this was that Denim only ever calls Helen kid, which I find weird only because they develop a relationship yeah, as the movie goes they on. They get together. And, and honestly, putting the kid part aside... I thought that their relationship was kind of realistic. Like it, 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 it wasn't like insta lovey or anything. It, they had kind of a mutual respect, and they, they came together over the course of the movie. That part I liked, but yeah, his, his uh, paternalism towards her was not great. Mm-hmm. And it's an old movie. Yeah, that it felt a little weird to me, at least. With... Well, let's let's role play a little bit. All right, kid. No. What was ridiculous about this movie? <laughs> I'm just kidding. We have to take a <laughs> coffee break. Yeah. That'll help me shake that off. Is this just a situation where you're going to cut a bunch of our blurbs out of context? Um, no, because then there would be blisters in awkward places, which would be terrible. Oh, here we go. That is the dirtiest thing I've ever seen. Listen to the nerd with Adam, Will, and Amanda. Why did I get top billing? I don't deserve top billing. Because out of the two of us, you're the one she likes better. Oh, man. I mean, yeah. I'm eight months pregnant. Put another one in me. And that's when she figured out that I had taken drugs. How are all of you? We're going to do a promo, but we're just going to talk sex. I got to see her. Oh, man. I mean, yeah. She cooked dinner for me in lingerie, which hopefully she doesn't listen to this. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that. This podcast phenomenon is sweeping the nation, and we're all up on the bandwagon with the plethora of episodes at Nerd. Dot pantspending.com. Willem Dafoe gives me a lady boner. Blue Chew is bull****, by the way. Listen to the nerd. It's not the worst thing that can happen to you. Is that a good no? It takes effort to do a promo. Yeah. And I think we knew that before. <laughs> Although I feel like we could just put that part in. Yeah. <laughs> that along with the, the nerdy thing Adam said and me with the sexy voice. There you go. There's your promo, Will. Congratulations. The nerd. I'm sorry. All right. Welcome back to Kaiju Coffee Break. We really appreciate you sticking with us here. Yep. I got a chance to refill my coffee and stretch my legs a little bit. And I played Animal Crossing Pocket Camp. (laughs) (laughs) To each their own. Yeah, sure. That counts as exercise in the quarantine. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. 
All right, Lee. So I think we're ready to talk about what was ridiculous. Yeah, that segues nicely into ridiculous things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I So Helene was in a circus troupe with kind of the beginning of her introduction of this movie, and she they had monkeys that could like play the violin, play pretty melody. Like they weren't just scratching away the violin; they were playing music. music. Mm-hmm. They had trained the monkeys to do this, but when she lets the monkeys out because of the fire that kills her father, she can't get them to come back. So what this is then is monkeys that are so well trained that they can play the violin, but not so well trained that they don't come when called. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> that has the Sarah stamp of ridiculosity. Mm. Well, I, I was going to say it doesn't. They weren't killed. His Her father wasn't killed by the fire. It was Nils who did that. Oh, aid. right. Okay. Yeah. Fair. But but the fire that resulted in the death of her father. Yeah. And the, um, the escape of the monkeys to, that I don't return. It's really just that like they didn't want to have monkeys for the rest of the movie. So they mm-hmm. had to explain where the monkeys were gone. Well, they also had to throw in a, a denim catching monkeys joke in there. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, but um, something I thought was really ridiculous is um, when they go to escape New York, the captain offers denim a position on his boat. I can not figure out what he was supposed to be doing there. Near as I can tell, he just wears a white suit and smokes. I so I saw your comment here about this and I my first thought was gonna say like I think he's an investor, but then I remember that at the beginning the captain's like, I know you have no money, but I have some. Let's run away on my boat. Like mm-hmm. yeah, that's <laughs> the captain was in this whole mess because of Denim's recklessness. You think the last thing he'd want to do is just like pick him up and run away. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, yeah, I can't figure out what he's supposed to be doing out there. <laughs> he was this like the second mate or something. I don't know the first mate or something. I don't, yeah. I don't know. He never does any boaty things though. Um, you said he stands around in a white suit and smokes a cigar. I don't know what else you think people do on boats. <laughs> That's all I've ever done on a boat. That's a lie. Oh, you're right. I also sleep a lot on boats. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, <laughs> that part's true. <laughs> One time I caught a fish while I was asleep. It woke you up. Yeah. It was funny. Uh, okay. So, yeah, we agree that Denim has no job. He's a homeless bum. On a boat. On a boat. A homeless, I mean, a homeless boat bum. I'd do that. Yeah, I'd be a boat bum. That sounds okay. Yeah. So, throughout this movie, I keep hearing someone whistling. It's a boat bum. No, it's not a boat bum. Oh. Those aren't fart noises. <laughs> they were fart noises? No, I'm describing whistling. You said boat bum. Bum is another word. Oh, for good butt. heavens. <laughs> Move on. Um, anyways, the whistling heard throughout the movie, it took me like halfway through the second watch of this to realize those are supposed to be birds. I don't remember this. I think my brain filtered it out. Uh, yeah, you might have just like took it for maybe some kind of issue with the movie. Yeah, or just like an artifact of the restoration of the movie yeah it just it sounds like someone whistling that's that's really it then maybe the ship people were whistling it only happened when birds were around the birds that like disappeared from the sky and then reappeared mm-hmm. like nightcrawler bouncing across the screen yeah yep. something else i wanted to talk about when the whole island is getting swallowed up by the earthquake hurricane the natives die too and they have boats they use the boats in the first movie were they not able to get to the boats were the boats destroyed or what it didn't show that that's because their lives don't matter lee apparently we only care about those four main characters 
Not even Little Kong gets to survive this one. Nope. But yeah, they had boats. They should have been able to. Maybe make they it. did, and they just didn't show it. We can, our head cannon <laughs> can be that the natives escaped, and they're like happily living their best life on a different island now, mm-hmm. free of Kong and all, all right. Kong related plot lines. They're just doing their thing. (laughs) It's not worthy of being on a movie. They're just living their lives. Like they were trying to do the whole time. Yeah, but they were under the shadow of Kong. Now Mm. they just can go and live normal lives without Mm. Kong. It's fine. All right. All right. (laughs) So I thought it was ridiculous that, and I pointed this out when we were watching the movie, Mm -hmm. but, um, Helen kind of, I don't want to say proposes because it wasn't like a marriage proposal, but Helen basically like, implies she wants to be with Denim by saying that they should split the treasure three ways instead of four. Because he's going to split it between him, her, the captain, and Charlie. Mm-hmm. And um, she's like, well, what if we split it three ways instead? Charlie, the captain, and you and I. And I yelled at the screen, that's less. <laughs> that's less for you, Helen. Like, if you would split it four ways kept your your half denim kept his half and then you guys got together later you could have a half of the treasure instead you have one third mm-hmm. that's that's very uh philanthrop that's very philanthropic of you Helen, <laughs> in a weird way it was very sweet but mm-hmm. it was also like what maybe she just felt like the captain and charlie deserved more charlie then- deserved everything he saved their butts multiple so times many times yep i just i love that he um wielded a butcher knife for like the latter half of the movie just yes. the whole time <laughs> he was and he was the one that made sure that there were there was like guns and food on the boat when they mm-hmm. were kicked off of the boat uh, kicked off the ship and onto the lifeboat yeah because they got mutinied mm-hmm. that was that happened earlier we didn't really discuss the plot of this that much mostly because it was so thin <laughs> yeah so what did you think was awesome about this movie um i like that they turned charlie from a uh how do i want to put this a caricature yeah, a caricature side character who only serves one or two purposes in the first movie to a fully like realized main character mm-hmm. in this. He so, drives the plot at the start of it. So in the first movie, if you it's been too long since you've listened to the last episode or that you didn't listen to the last episode, Charlie is played by Victor Wong. He was a Chinese American actor and he was portraying Charlie the the ship's cook, who's also Chinese. Uh and, and in some ways very characterized. Mm-hmm. But he was actually a Chinese American actor playing a Chinese character. So there's that at least. Um, and in that, in their first movie, he didn't have much of a part. It was more of a bit part. In this movie, he is a main character. He's one of the four main characters and he wrecks. <laughs> he is so great. Mm-hmm. Charlie slaps, as yes. the kids say. Well, I'll believe you on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brahman has to teach me all of my kid lingo. So that, gotcha. Yeah. But at the beginning of the movie, he's he gets Denim to go to the boat to drive the whole plot of the movie forward and um he sticks to the captain and denim through the whole thing he just he mutinies himself (laughs) when they get down into the lifeboat after they've been kicked off the boat he's there and they're like charlie they got you too and he's like no i just don't like them (laughs) (laughs) well to be fair like he's right yeah i mean he made the right choice they do suck (laughs) they but i mean i actually kind of like the mutineers mutineers i thought they were funny (laughs) And the way that they did it, yeah. That's actually my next point. Um, Hellstrom, the guy who gives uh, Denim the map in the previous movie. Right, so in the previous movie, Hellstrom had a map to Kong Island and yep. gave it to Denim. And now he's in this movie as the bad guy, basically. 
Yeah, but I don't. He maybe he, not bad guys. He killed Helen's father. Yeah. So he got into a bar fight at the beginning with Helen's father, killed Helen's father, and then runs into Denim, and he's trying to get off of the island because the Dutch authorities are going to come for him for killing Helen's father mm-hmm. and probably other stuff too. Um, and so he convinces them that there's a treasure map or that there's a treasure on Skull Island, and they need to go back. He's making that up, but yeah. there actually is treasure. <laughs> Mm-hmm, so so anyways but then as soon as they get aboard the ship he ferments a mutiny of the ship's crew because for for understandable reasons i think they don't want to get sent right back into danger on kong island or skull island again yeah they lost a few people in the first movie mm-hmm. and they the crew is much less this time and they're unwilling to die right they don't want to just die <laughs> for whatever denim is doing which i think is very understandable mm-hmm. um but as soon as they start the mutiny Every, the the main characters are on the lifeboat and uh hillstrom is like he tries to take charge i'm captain now and they're like no captains and they boot him right over the side mm-hmm. and that i just thought that was great mm-hmm. like he started the idea of the mutiny and then when the time comes they they're still like you're out too yeah <laughs> no we bosses you on too. here no bosses no landlords mm-hmm. uh they also they form a friendship with little kong which i thought was it's an interesting take on this kaiju stuff where they don't normally do that. Um, in the Godzilla universe, the only kaiju that's seen as universally good is Mothra. But Godzilla helps them when it kind of coalesces with his aims. Yeah, but he he also causes major destruction while, um, quotation marks, helping them. <laughs> <laughs> hey, me too, okay? Mm-hmm. But yeah, they make a friendship with Little Kong and I thought that was cool it was the first time something like that probably would have happened in this kind of genre well and i think it speaks back to the reception of the audience to the original kong where they found that kong was a pretty relatable figure and and audiences often empathized with kong yeah so then they made they have this like son character that's a baby and is very empathetic Mm -hmm. and the main characters help help him and he helps them back yeah and then he dies at the end for no reason (laughs) yeah uh the while the island is sinking, it splits in two and then traps his leg and then forms back into one and then he can't escape. That's how that happens. Horrible. But he holds up denim above the water as the water level rises and saves him. Mm-hmm. And so he gets a hero's death. Just like Kobayashi. <laughs> Rip yep. Kobayashi. And Little Kong. Or um, as the fans have dubbed him, Kiko. Kiko? <laughs> like Kid Kong, King I think. Kong. I thought it was just King Kong. Kiko. That's cute. Maybe. Um, I also thought it was great that um, Robert Armstrong, the person who played Carl Denham, really preferred the role in this over the first movie because he felt like the character was able to develop more and be like a more full person. Fully realized person. Well, he honestly, if anything, had a more empathetic role in this movie and and he was much more the main character of this Mm -hmm. movie, whereas in the last one it was more... And that was the main character. If, yeah, if and uh, Driscoll. And Driscoll, yeah. In this movie, it was him and Helen that were the main characters. Mm-hmm. Although Charlie is the main character of our hearts. <laughs> but yeah, no, I would, I can understand that that he would prefer this movie. It definitely had a, he had a lot more screen time in this movie and, and a was, lot more depth. Yeah, a much more relatable character in this movie. I, I, honestly, a lot of times movies don't show kind of the aftermath of a kaiju wrecking your city so mm-hmm. i kind of liked that about this movie that yeah. like you know it's a few months later he feels legally and ethically responsible for the kind of the destruction that king kong has wrought on new york mm-hmm. and he's dealing with that throughout the movie it kind of 
reminded me of Iron Man 3 a little bit, <laughs> where, you know, Tony Stark is having post-traumatic stress about the attack on New York. It kind of has that, like, low-key... It was an aftermath movie, not a disaster movie, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so there were a couple quotes I wanted to talk about from this movie. Um, during the mutiny that we talked about, Red is the leader of the crew. Red. And... Um, he has one of the best uh, lines in this. Do you want to give it? Well, he said it wrong in the movie, but I'll read it right. It was, Ro, you blasted bourgeoisie. It's a nice day for it. But he says like Borgios or something. He mispronounces a couple French uh, words. I thought he just said bourgeois. And it, you're thinking of like, he says bon voyage or something. Yeah, okay. I think he's making fun of them. <laughs> but yeah, the, Ro, you blasted bourgeois. It's a nice day for it. Like, get out of here. <laughs> I kind of want to just start saying that. <laughs> I like that. Every time someone has to leave. Bro, you blasted bourgeoisie. But um, yeah, uh, also again, during the mutiny, Hellstrom's looking down on the main characters on their little boat. And they were like, hey, can we uh, at least have some guns, please? Yep. And he looks down at them and says, um, sarcastically, smart man like you don't need a gun. Then later on... When After he's been booted over the side, too. Along with them. Yeah. They're on the island and... Um, Dem- Charlie, Charlie gave him guns, just to make sure yeah. this is clear. Like Charlie had Charlie guns. stashed guns on the boat. But when they're on the island, um, Denim and Helen go off exploring a little bit. And when they're talking about going after them, um, Hellstrom grabs a gun and Captain says, a smart man like you don't need a gun. And then Charlie... Charlie goes, ha! Yep. It was... Great. It was like, so satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I, that was perfect. Yeah. So I think that is it. Was there anything else you wanted to say? I don't think so. Is that really it? Yeah, well, this was It was enough. an hour-long movie. Yeah. <laughs> so we've probably talked longer now than the actual like runtime of the movie. We're coming up on 50 minutes, yeah. so we're getting close there. <laughs> uh, what would you rate this movie as? Um, I would rate it higher than uh, King Kong. That one I said 2 out of 5. I would put this about 3. Yeah, I the, so I said 2.5 to 3 out of 5 stars. I, I would agree with you on that. I, I did, did enjoy this movie more. It, is it the like seminal work of cinema that the original was? No. But as far as like my modern taste, I enjoyed the themes of this movie a lot more. It's kind of yeah. a redemption arc for Denim and more screen time for Charlie and the Kong, the, the son of Kong. Um, Helen, the stronger female. The stronger female character. character and then son of Kong being a more empathetic kind of helpful character i enjoyed all of that a lot more than the previous movie if it hadn't been for the ending i probably would rate it out of four out of five mm-hmm. um but the ending just really kind of soured me a little bit on it it just seems so unnecessary it was kind of out of left field yeah it was i mean if they like i said before if they had even just like been talking about a storm on the horizon or like had earthquakes throughout it would have been much more understandable if that happened Mm -hmm. because they could have had that pressure the entire time of like we have got to get off this island or we're going to die Mm -hmm. but they didn't (laughs) like it was such a missed opportunity anything else you want to say about this before we close it out um let's see the ending seems to be the complete opposite of a deus ex machina yeah i suppose (laughs) i mean it is kind of a deus ex machina in its own end. Typically, that just means like a lazy p- 
plot device to end a movie. Well, I always took it as like, here's a secret thing to just solve the problem that we've put forth. Here's a secret thing to end the movie for no reason. In one of the Transformers movies, there's like a secret secret super weapon that they use to shoot a giant Transformer. Yeah, and it wasn't hinted at at all earlier in the movie. Yeah, it's just... I don't know. I would say that this still counts as the deus ex machina ending. Well, I guess I'd say it's the opposite because it causes the movie to end for no reason rather than to save everything for no reason. So the, rather than to wrap, wrap up all the plot points neatly in a tiny, tiny way. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. We're just that. burying all the plot. Why don't you tweet at us and tell us what you think about the <laughs> ending of this movie? Actually, don't. <laughs> well, you're in charge of Twitter. Oh, I am? Yeah. Oh, no. People could have been tweeting us this whole time. I haven't logged into Twitter in months. Oh, no. That's not my fault. Oh, no. I don't want to go on Twitter. It scares me. Well, just stick to the kaiju Twitter. I think I forgot the password. All right. Tweet at us and I'll respond, I promise. Kaiju Coffee Break is brought to you by Pants Pending Studios and our patrons on Patreon. Become a patron at patreon.com slash pantspending. Listen to new episodes at kcb.pantspending.com or wherever you download podcasts. And if you like what you hear, consider leaving us a rating. It really helps us out. Got something to say about the ending of King Kong? Send us an email, kaijucoffeebreak at gmail.com. Tweet at us at breakkaiju, or don't, or hit us up on Facebook at kaijucoffeebreak. Thank you, as always, to Andrew and Amanda of Pants Pending for the support and to Sen for always bringing out the weirdo in all of us. Thanks. Have a good one. Yep, bye. didn't notice you sitting there. Thanks for joining me. My name is Dees. I'm the host of the Social Hour podcast. You know, I've just been sitting here sipping on some Earl Grey tea by the fireplace in my satin robe, just watching the rain come down and thinking about how the heads at the Pants Pending Network wanted me to do a family-friendly promo for the Social Hour to show that It's a program that can be shared by everyone in the family. So here's some clips from the show that the whole gang can sit down and enjoy. Really? We've got none? Like zero? Oh, what the f***? Get ready for the social hour. TikTok. Take your sip and then we'll, and then bring this back in. Captain grabs it right back from him and just says, "Smart man, don't." There is one thing, but you got to give me a second. And I'll cut out this part here. Yeah, the ending seems to be like the opposite of a do sex machina. Do sex machina. <laughs> is that what you just said? <laughs> How am I supposed to say that? Deus ex machina. Deus ex machina. Do you want to try that again? Yeah.